Well, greetings, everybody. It's nice to have you with us. My name is George Miley, and we are beginning to record the series of teachings called Maturing Toward Wholeness in the Inner Life. Maturing Toward Wholeness in the Inner Life is another way of describing the results of discipleship to Jesus, because really that's what discipleship is. Jesus invites us into a relationship with him, where he is our master teacher and where he teaches us the things that we need to know in order to enter into and live successfully in the kingdom of God. And living in the kingdom of God, which is living in God's presence, living in God's grace, results in us being healed and restored. It returns to us our true humanity. So that Jesus isn't just about removing our guilt, as crucial and important as that is, but he's about so much more than that. He's about not only taking away our guilt, but taking away our sin, freeing us from the bondage that sin has brought to us and leading us into healing, into wholeness, into maturity, actually walking with Jesus in relationship with him day by day as his disciple results in us recovering our humanity. We become fully the human beings that God created us to be. And so the the title of the overall teaching series, Maturing Toward Wholeness in the Inner Life, And this morning, we start with chapter one, Restore the Ancient Anointings. I remember when I first heard that phrase, Restore the Ancient Anointings, I was listening to a message that somebody else was giving, and uh, the speaker used that terminology, and it had a real impact on me when I heard it, and it has never left me. In fact, it's become a kind of a foundational concept and framework where I have found myself orienting a lot of the teaching that I've been giving since then. It came to me as a prophetic call, and it came during the early years of returning with Hannah to her home region of Germany, the Eiffel. So let me tell you a little bit about that. Hannah grew up for the first seven years of her life in the Eiffel region of Germany, It's a beautiful region. It's west of the Rhine, east of the Belgian border, although some of it goes into Belgium, southwest of the city of Cologne, beautiful region of rolling hills and thick forest and pasture land and small towns and villages. And she and her family lived in the Eiffel town of Gmund. And Hannah was born in 1932. And so When Hitler and the Nazis came to power in 1933, she and her family were living under the increasing violence of the Nazi regime toward Jewish families. So Hannah was actually in Gmund on Kristallnacht, 1938, November the 9th and the 10th, when violence was done to Jewish synagogues, Jewish homes, Jewish businesses. Hannah's father was a businessman. He owned a couple of businesses. They had a home on the Strasse in the street that ran through the center of the town. And after Kristallnacht, or Kristallnacht, as you say in German, Hannah's father took the family to Cologne. 
And it was from Cologne, July the 24th, 1939, that Hannah's father found her a place on a kinder transport to England. She was seven years old. She never saw her parents again. They were subsequently deported to Lotz in Poland. And after that, they were gassed to death with other Jews in a nearby place called Kilno on May the 3rd, 1942. So for Hannah to return to the Eiffel, on the one hand, was a blessing. She wanted to go back to research where her parents came from and something of her own history. But on the other hand, it was mixed with, as you can imagine, some pretty negative memories. And we found ourselves going back to Kamun. We'd been back there before, but this occasion that I'm referring to was in the year 2000. We spent some days in Gamund. This wasn't part of our plan. We were just going to go there to research something of Hannah's background. Some friends from Phoenix were with us. We planned to spend one night in Gamund, and things started happening. Within 30 minutes of arriving there, we met people who had known Hannah's parents and had remember Hannah when she was a little child. And we felt God leading us to return to Gamun the next summer. That was 2001. That year, 2000, we just felt the Lord saying, come back next summer and spend a month. And so we went back in the year 2000 and spent a month there, 2001. And as we spent a month there, we found ourselves going around Gamun, praying in all of the places that held painful memories for Hannah. We went to where her family home had stood on the Dreibonnerstrasse and prayed there. We went to where the synagogue had stood that was destroyed on Kristallnacht and prayed there. We went to the Jewish cemetery where Jews up until the time of the Nazis were buried prayed there. We went to the school where Hannah and the other Jewish children had begun school and where Hannah remembers the children, putting all the Jewish children in the middle of a circle and the other children singing these awful Nazi songs to them. We prayed there. And the more we prayed in these various places in Gamun, we prayed, Lord Jesus, come into this place. You know what has happened here. You know the darkness that has been carried out here. We pray that you will come with your presence, with your healing, with your grace, with your forgiveness, with your cleansing. And the more we prayed, the more we found ourselves, particularly Hannah, I was with her, but all of a sudden here she was praying for prayers of blessing. Lord, we pray that you will come and bless the people of Gumun. We pray that you will come and bless the people of the Eiffel. What an awesome thing. A Jewish follower of the Jewish Messiah had returned in fulfillment of God's calling to her people Israel to bless the Gentiles. You know, this was part of God's call to Abraham. In you and in your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And so actually it is the God-given calling on the Jewish people to bless the Gentiles. And for me as a Gentile, it was just an awesome thing to watch this being fulfilled through my wife. Well, that was the year 2001. And when we were there for that year, we felt God saying to us, come back next summer and bring intercessors. 
And so in the summer of 2002, we went back to Gamund again. And this time there were 18 intercessors with us, brothers and sisters from different countries, from America, from Britain, from Holland. And German brothers and sisters joined us as well. And so we were a true international group from different church backgrounds, united in the love of God, feeling the love of God for the people of Gamund and the Eiffel, and praying that Jesus would come in blessing. And that prayer time, intercession time in the year 2002, led to five consecutive summers of prayer days in the Eiffel, where intercessors would join us and pray for God's blessing to come to Gamund and the Eiffel. We found ourselves praying that Jesus would come and establish his kingdom in that place. Then in the year 2006, we felt like the Lord was saying, you know, now I'm bringing a shift into this ministry. You've prayed for five summers. I've heard your prayers. Now I'm bringing a, a shift. And so Hannah and I went away for a retreat down the southern part of Germany. Lord, what are you saying to us? And there's already a list of things that we felt during that time God was saying. One of them was we felt like God was speaking to Hannah through the words of Genesis 31, God's word to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. So somehow something was changing and it was changing from just going to the Eiffel and praying for blessing. It was changing from that to go to the Eiffel and live among the people as an agent of reconciliation from me to them. So we asked the Lord, Lord, what does this mean, return to the land of your fathers? Does it mean that we should move to Germany full time? Where should we live? Where will the money come from from doing this? And the more we prayed about all this, we felt the Lord saying, follow me step by step, and I will give you everything that you need. So we rented an apartment and we began to spend four to six months a year in the Eiffel in a ministry of reconciliation, praying for spiritual renewal. What does spiritual renewal look like? We were praying, oh God, we pray for a movement of spiritual renewal to sweep through the Eiffel. What does that actually look like? So uh, the more we prayed about it, the more we thought, you know, that would mean if God really did move, if Jesus really did come, if his kingdom really caught fire, fire here, what would happen is that many people would come to faith. I mean, I don't know how many, but, you know, certainly hundreds, probably thousands would come to faith. But if that were to happen, just think for a minute, what if God really showed up and hundreds and thousands of people were coming to faith, that would bring with it its own challenges because who would be among them who was able to disciple these new believers to maturity? So it's one thing for people to have an encounter with Christ. It's another thing for them to grow into full maturity. Who would be there? Who are the mature ones that would be there that had been equipped by God to bring the harvest to maturity. So the more we prayed about this, the more we realized the Eiffel was not yet ready for a new move of God. The next step was to make preparations. So now we come to this section 
When Christian confession does not mature into Christ-likeness, have you ever experienced that? People can make a confession of Christ. They can say that they believe. They can pray a prayer. And they can self-identify as Christians. And yet somehow, as time goes on, they never mature into an inner life that is characterized progressively by Christ-likeness. What happens in those kind of situations? What is the outcome? What are the consequences when that is the case? We had seen it all before, Hannah and I. Great moves of God have turned into train wrecks due to inadequately formed character, especially among leaders. Now, there are tons of stories that we could tell. One that comes to mind is in the year 1972, I was the director of the ship Lagos, Christian crew, 140 people from 20 different countries going from port to port in a ministry of evangelism and discipleship. And in 1972, we were in Indonesia and we came to the Indonesian island of Timor. And we were very excited about this because the word had gotten out internationally that there had been a great revival in Timor. People were being healed. People were being raised from the dead, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so we thought, what an awesome thing to be able to go there and to experience this great move of the Spirit. When we got there, we met with informed people, Christians, government people, who, of course, knew the situation. And we asked them, tell us about the revival. What's going on? We want to know. We want to experience. How, how can we be a part of this? And the people who really understood what was going on said to us, well, the revival is over. It stopped. So we said to them, well, how did that happen? How could the revival stop these this great outpouring of God, how could that be? And they said to us three reasons. Lust for power, sexual immorality, and greed. Lust for power, sexual immorality, and greed. What had happened? People had had an initial experience of God, of Christ, of the Holy Spirit, but that initial experience had not led to the transformation of character. And because it had not led to the transformation of character, it had fizzled out. I'm also remembering in this conjunction being in a meeting of the Wittenberg 2017 initiative, an initiative of prayer, repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation among Christians in preparation for the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And we were together for three days, brothers and sisters from different church backgrounds. And among us, there was a very gifted PhD historian from Austria. And she was a very dedicated Christian, a very, very loyal to her church. And she stood up and gave a talk on the sins of Christian leaders during the medieval period. She outlined it in a very honoring way. She wasn't being critical or unkind to anybody. She was just telling the truth of the moral failures of Christian leaders during the medieval period. And she 
brought her talk to a conclusion by saying, one thing we can do to summarize all this that was characteristic of the Christian leaders in many, many cases, not all, but in many cases in those days, lust for power, sexual immorality, and greed. So here it is again. And I thought to myself when I listened to her talk, this could be the description of the church in my country, the United States today. Because in addition to having very godly, wonderful, Christ-centered leaders, we also have far too much of the failure of Christian leaders in the areas of lust for power, sexual immorality, and greed. So what are we saying here? What we're saying is, tragically, as we look at the history of the church, in addition to all the beautiful things that God has done, and there are more of those than we could possibly count or have time to talk about, in the midst of all of that, in addition to all that, it's critical that we are honest about the fact that an initial experience of God is not enough. That initial experience of God must lead to the transformation of character increasingly into the likeness of Christ. And as we mature in Christ-likeness, we are prepared to carry the great works that God wants to do on earth among us. How can it be that we can study and teach Jesus and still act as though Christian, Christ-like character is irrelevant? No, the Eiffel was not yet ready for a move of God. This was a time for preparation. Ministers had to be identified and matured into Christ-likeness, prepared to bring the harvest to maturity when it comes. So this became defining for us as we prayed, Lord, how are you leading when it comes to the Eiffel? What are your next steps? And unknown to us, as we prayed that, as we grapple with that, maturing toward wholeness in the inner life, this series of teachings was in the process of being born. So in our next time together, we'll be talking about spiritual strongholds. But for now, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, teach us your ways. We want to know you. We want to come into the fullness of all that you have for us. We want to be delivered not only from our guilt and how we need that, Lord, but we want to be delivered from our sin and all of the dysfunctions and all of the wounding and all of the darkness that it causes. Bring us, Lord Jesus, by your grace into full maturity in your presence that we might be the channels that you want us to be in a dark and needy world. Do this, Father, we pray for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.